Oh, good morning. It's good to see you all today. We continue our sermon series in the book of Philippians, and so far through the first chapter and a little bit into the second chapter, the Apostle Paul has given thanks for the Philippian church and their partnership with him in the gospel. He's given an update on his own ministry and his time in prison for the sake of the gospel, and he has called them to follow his example. Um, in living for Christ in all things and, uh, and for the spread of the gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul realizes that one of the main obstacles for them to be able to do that uh, would be conflict or disharmony in the church. And so at the beginning of chapter 2, which we looked at last time we were in Philippians two weeks ago, uh, Paul calls them, in light of their own experience of the gospel, to reflect the gospel as they relate to one another. In, in, the, in the church. Uh, specifically, he calls them to unity and to humility and to putting one another's interest before their own. And so we pick up this morning in verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. We'll read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us. And uh, we thank you that you so love the world that you sent your only begotten Son. Jesus, we praise you that though you are God from all eternity, you emptied yourself for us. And so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would teach us from your Word today. Speak to us, Lord, wherever we're at in our relationship with you. And uh, Lord, help us to listen, to hear, to respond, and to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this passage, particularly verses 6 through 11, is this beautiful hymn of sorts, this beautiful picture that contains rich truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And it's really a beautiful summary of the gospel, of who he is and what he did to save us. But not only do we need to understand what Paul teaches about Christ here, we need to recognize why he teaches us this at this particular point in the book. Verse 5 is a transition. The first four verses of chapter 4, or chapter 2, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Paul calls, as I said, the church to live and to relate to one another in such a way that people would be able to look at the church and understand something about the character of God and what the gospel is supposed to do in our lives. We're to be a picture of gospel community. 
And so he tells us in verse 5 to have the same mindset that Jesus had in our relationships with one another in the church. Well, what does that mindset look like? Verses 6 through 11 give us a really tangible picture of what Paul has in mind here. And so we should read verses 6 through 11 not only for this rich theology that it gives us about who Jesus is, but for the model for how we're to live in relationship with one another, how we're to think about that and how we're to live in community in the church. And so let's learn from Jesus' example on how we should think about relating to one another in gospel community. And the first thing I want us to think about this morning is setting aside rights. Setting aside rights. Verse 6 begins by emphasizing that Jesus is God. It says that uh, it speaks of him being in very nature God. The word translated very nature here is is the word morphe. It, It can be translated form. But of course, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a shape. And so it's used figuratively to refer to God's very nature, what God is. And this is the strongest possible statement about the divinity of Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus has these unique and identical qualities of God. He is the very substance of God. He is equal to God because he is God. Jesus existed as the second person of the Trinity before his birth in the manger. As the second person of the Trinity, the Son has eternally existed alongside the Father and the Spirit. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God eternally existing in three persons. Everything that is true of God has always been true of the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Now, most of us in this room are followers of Jesus, and one of the fundamental things we think about him is that he's God. Yeah, Jesus is God. This, this might be something that you take for granted. You've just kind of heard it so much and have affirmed it for so long in your life. But maybe you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning. And this idea that this historical person named Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is God is, sounds like a silly idea to you. I mean, he might be a great man, a prophet, uh, a charismatic leader, but surely not God. So whether you accept this or not, whether you take it for granted or whether you reject it, all of us need to realize just how shocking this statement was when Paul wrote it in the first century. Paul was a Jew. All of the early Christians were Jews. And from the earliest days of the Christian movement, these Jews worshipped Jesus as God. Now, why is that significant? Well, of all the people on the face of the earth, the last people to worship a human as the transcendent, indescribable, all-powerful creator of the universe would have been the Jews. The Greeks, the Romans, the people of the East, they all had different views of God, but one form or another, all of their views of God understood that the divine was part of creation. Not the Jews. Not the Jews. For the Jews, God was completely distinct. We sing holy, 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 utterly transcendent, different from the creation. They were the last people in the world to believe that a human could be God. And yet many of them in Jesus' day did. Imagine what that would have required. 
Here's a man who claims to be God. He convinced thousands of Jews to believe in him and to follow him to the point of laying down their lives for him. Imagine what the moral quality of this man would have had to have been. Imagine the scrutiny that he would have been under. Imagine the profound force of his teaching. Imagine the miraculous power he must have possessed. Imagine the weight of his personal presence in the room. Imagine what it would have taken for those who were closest to them, those who lived and traveled with him, who saw him 24-7. Imagine what it would have taken them to convince them that he was perfect and sinless. And even beyond that, utterly unique and transcendent, God himself. Now, I think I'm a pretty good guy. You may or may not agree. But um, it wouldn't take much time hanging out with me to dispel, to, to dispel the truth that, uh, that I'm sinless, right? To the, the claim that I'm sinless. It's not truth. <laughs> Wouldn't take much time hanging out with me to dispel the claim that I am sinless. And yet, that was their conclusion of Jesus. After three years. That's one of the core truths that birthed the church that has changed the world. And so what does that mean for us? We saw in verse 5 that Paul told us that these truths about Jesus should change our mindset. So how does this truth that Jesus is God need to affect our minds, our thinking? Well, John Stott in his book, Basic Christianity, makes the point that if Jesus is God, the only appropriate way to respond to him, Stott says, is extremely, extremely. If you read the Bible you'll see that no one ever had a moderate reaction to Jesus. People responded to him in one of three ways. Always. They hated him, tried to kill him. They feared him and tried to run from him. Or they were so absolutely smitten with him that they gave him their lives. But nobody ever had a moderate reaction to him. No one ever had a casual response to Jesus, and yet that's how many of us in our society today, perhaps some of us in this room, relate to Jesus. More and more people are rejecting the church, but people tend to still respect Jesus. But if Jesus claimed to be God and wasn't, he's the last person that warrants your respect. But if Jesus claimed to be God, and he is God, everything about your life needs to revolve around him. This this isn't just an issue for those of you who may be considering the claims of Jesus. It's especially true for those of us who say that we follow him, right? You may come to church. You may volunteer some time. You may get involved in a few things here and there, give some money, and yet have, truth be told, a casual relationship with Jesus. Just kind of fit him in to your life wherever he may fit. But If Jesus is God, you can't do that. You can't keep him at arm's length. You can't buy him off with a few hours and a few dollars. If Jesus is God, you can't tip your hat to him and not allow him to enter into your life and reorder everything about you. Your private life, your relationships, your business, how you spend your money, how you recreate. All of life needs to revolve around him. There isn't anything else weighty enough to demand your ultimate allegiance. Where have you been unwilling to let Jesus reorder your life? 
What are you holding, or where are you holding him at arm's length, or, or playing around with a little religion? What sin are you unwilling to submit to his lordship? Jesus is God. He's your creator. And each of us owes him our allegiance. But he's not an autocratic dictator who reigns at our expense. What's just as shocking as the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is God, what's just as shocking is how this God relates to us. And so Paul continues, this eternal God, he says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, we use position and privilege to our own advantage all the time, don't we? But not Jesus. The only way we can do what he described in the first four verses, the only way we can do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but to the interest of others. The only way that we can live that way is if we follow a God who lived that way. Literally, it says in the original language that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. He willingly let go of the privileges of being God in order to serve us. Now, the backdrop of this statement, I think, uh, is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, think about it. What was the ultimate motivation for Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit? The serpent promised that if they would eat it, what? They would become like God, right? They would become like God, they, they who were graciously made in God's image as the high point of creation, graciously given all of creation to rule over in God's name, limited only by their allegiance to God, they who were in very nature not God, considered equality with God something to be grasped. They wanted to be like God, and so they grasped the forbidden fruit. And all humans but Jesus have followed in their footsteps. Though we are not equal with God, we do grasp after equality with God all the time. How do we do that? Well, anytime you say, I know what the Bible says, but I got to do what makes me happy, you're doing this. Like Eve in the garden, we ignore God's word and we decide for ourselves what is best for us. I know God doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I know God says I should do this because it's important to him, but it's not important to me, so I'm not going to do it. You and I do that every day, and when we do, we're seeking to be out from under God's authority. In other words, we're grasping equality with God. How different is Jesus? Jesus who from all eternity possessed the rights and the privileges of deity, it was already in his hands. He did not regard that status something to be held on to. He willingly, voluntarily, even in a sense gladly, let go of it to serve us who are fallen because of Adam's sin. Jesus is God, and so everything in your life needs to revolve around him. Jesus set aside his rights, his privileges as God, 
and took on a human nature. And therefore, we are to have the same mindset as Jesus. We are to set aside our rights for the interests of others. Second, sacrificial service. Look again at verses 6 and 7. Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The first point, I stress Jesus' divinity. Here we see his humanity. Paul is not saying, having been God, he instead became a man. That's not what he's saying. No, still being God, he also became human. He became the God-man. He took upon himself a human nature to his divine person. He is both God and man at the same time, two natures in one person. And this is a mystery to be sure, and yet Scripture here and elsewhere clearly affirms the dual nature of Jesus, God and man. Verse 7 explains a bit of what it meant for this eternal God to take on a human nature. He said, uh, Paul said that he made himself nothing by comparison to his privileges in heaven. Literally, he emptied himself, right? Emptied himself, not of his divine attributes. God cannot not be God. Literally, he, he gave himself for us. He utterly gave himself. He laid aside his unfathomable privileges as king of the universe to become a servant to us, to his creation, now, years ago, I, I don't remember exactly when this was, well over 20 years ago, reporters once described one of Queen Elizabeth II's visits to America for a few days. 4,000 pounds of luggage. Guys, you think your wife packs a lot. Two outfits for every occasion, a mourning outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, white kid leather toilet seat covers, and a whole army of attendants, right? They estimated that the brief visit of royalty to America cost tens of millions of dollars. By contrast, the king of the universe had no attendants at his birth besides some animals and some shepherds. He was born in an animal shelter, laid in a feeding trough. His earthly ministry was one of service, of obedience that culminated with his death on a cross. Paul is stressing that Christ, who had all the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe, gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. While he had every right to stay comfortably where he was, his love drove him to a position of weakness for us. Paul expressed it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The ultimate expression of his humble service to us is verse 8. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. Death on a cross. His death atoned for our sins, 
But that's not the emphasis of his death that Paul has in mind here. It's taught clearly elsewhere. But here, the emphasis, on Christ, the emphasis is on Christ's willingness to submit himself, to humbly serve no matter what the cost to accomplish God's purposes for us. Paul is telling us about Jesus to stress his humble service, which is to be an example to us so that we have the same mindset that he had. His, uh, Paul is uh, telling us to love one another, that we can put one another's interests before our own. We can lay down our own agendas in pursuit of unity and gospel purpose because we follow our Lord who laid down his life for us. But he did so, third, with a vision of glory. A vision of glory. Verses 9 to 11 go on to beautifully describe Jesus' resurrection and his glorification. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." On the other side of the cross, Jesus is given sovereign authority over everything in the universe. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. He's restored to glory and dignity, but, but now he's exalted, not just as the second person of the Trinity, he's also exalted as the God-man, Jesus Christ, for all eternity this is why he went through what he went through. Ephesians 12, 2 puts it like this, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus humbled himself and submitted himself to the point of death, the joy of saving and reconciling all who would have faith in him, the joy of receiving the fellowship and the worship of all his people, the joy of obeying the Father and accomplishing his purposes, the joy of not only being the creator of the universe, but its redeemer as well. Jesus found his life, in a sense, by losing it. That's why he calls us to follow in his footsteps. During his ministry, immediately after his disciples first recognized that he was the Messiah, Jesus calls the crowds to him and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. You see what he's saying? Do you want to find life? Do you want to experience glory? The way to do that is through a cross. You want to have your life count for eternity? Then follow Jesus by adopting his mindset, taking up your cross, living to help realize the kind of community that he envisions for us, and as we do that, we join him in his mission for the sake of the gospel. To be sure, we don't see everything subject to the cosmic authority of Jesus yet, do we? 
We see open rebellion against Christ. We see poverty and injustice. We see false religions. Even we who follow Jesus rebel against Him every time we sin. We experience pain and sickness and even physical death in our bodies. But don't be mistaken. Christ has already been given all authority. And one day when He returns again, this time in glory, everything wrong with the world will be made right. Every knee will bow before Him. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And all who believe in Him will be exalted with Him. In the meantime, He is accomplishing His sovereign purposes. And He's doing it through servants who imitate His incarnation by setting aside our rights, by investing our lives in loving one another while together we're going to a broken world in humility sacrificial service as we await glory that will be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your Son. Jesus, our heads can't fully grasp the utter weight of this passage. You are God, and you humbled yourself, underwent the miseries of this life, were obedient to the law that you made, and we're obedient ultimately to death on a cross, that you would not only pay for our sins, Lord, but you would form us as a community, a people of God that are reconciled to you and one another and together are to love one another well. And so, Lord, if there is any encouragement that we have from being united with Christ, if any comfort from your love, if any common sharing of the Spirit Father, because of your tenderness and compassion, make our joy complete. Make us like-minded. Help us to have the same love, to be one in spirit and of mind, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others, because in our relationships with one another, we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Amen.